Hey, it's Drex from This Week Health Cyber and Risk Community, and I want to invite you to our next webinar. It's going to focus on what else? Defending health data. I'll be chatting with experts from Rubrik and Microsoft. Register right now at thisweekhealth.com slash rubric webinar. That's all one string, R-U-B-R-I-K webinar, thisweekhealth.com slash rubric webinar. See you online soon. Today in Health IT, a continuation from yesterday, Hatco and Summa Health, the tech stack. That's what we're going to talk about today. My name is Bill Russell. I'm a former CIO for a 16 hospital system and creator of This Week Health, a set of channels and events dedicated to transform healthcare one connection at a time. We want to thank our show sponsors who are investing in developing the next generation of health leaders, SureTest, Artisite, Parlance, Certify Health, Notable, and ServiceNow. Check them out at thisweekhealth.com slash today. All right. Hey, we're continuing to work with Alexis Lemonade Stand to raise money for combating childhood cancer and searching for cures. We're going to raise another $100,000 this year. We ask you to join us. Hit our website, top right-hand column. See the logo for the Lemonade Stand. Click on that to give today. We believe in the generosity of our community, and we thank you in advance. All right. One last thing. Share this podcast with a friend or colleague. Use it as a foundation for daily or weekly discussions on the topics that are relevant to you and the industry great way to mentor. They can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, let's get to it. Yesterday, we talked about the Hatco Summa Health acquisition. I keep wanting to say merger. It's not a merger. It's an acquisition that is happening. They're taking it from a not-for-profit to a for-profit entity. It still has to go through all the gyrations. It's got to go through approvals and whatnot. I see no reason why it would not go through these approvals. I know there's a concern about private equity acquiring. You had the Hahnemann thing. You, you Anyway, we talked about this yesterday. Essentially, uh, a lot of private equity companies are about wealth management and they are about essentially real estate plays and wealth management and those kind of things. That is not what General Catalyst is about. It's not what HATCO is about. They're about transforming healthcare. This is a different model and a different play. So we talked about that somewhat yesterday and the foundation for it and the things they're looking to do. If you, I'm not going to do too much of an overview on that because I want to talk about the tech stack and I don't want to run out of time. So if you want to uh, go back, listen to yesterday's uh, episode, you can hear uh, the foundations for this deal. All right, today I want to talk about the uh, the tech stack and the foundation. And really, there's part of it that's talking about the vision for where this is going to go, and the transition is also part of what needs to happen. You're, you're taking a fee-for-service model system that has some value-based care, some essentially managed lives under contract and that kind of stuff. And you're going to transform it. Okay, but you have to keep what's running today running. And you have to do the transition at the same time. Changing the tires of the car while it's moving. No, tires of the airplane while it's moving. I don't know, whatever you get. Changing the engine of the airplane while it's moving. I heard all these analogies. They're all silly when you think about them. But at the end of the day, the health system's in motion and a transition is going to occur. So you have to keep one thing going, you have to have keep multiple lines of things going at the same time. The, the vision from my perspective is to establish a persistent, relevant, and ongoing dialogue between the health system and the patient on their health journey. All right, so the health system is the trusted partner and guide to everyone in the community for their health journey. There are some that are battling chronic conditions, and for that, they have a guide. There are those that are healthy and trying to lose some weight. For that, they have a guide. There's the, the first-time mother who's trying to raise her child. For that, 
We are their guide and trusted partner. Trusted partners don't surprise bill their clients. They offer transparency. Trusted partners don't tell their clients that the next available available appointment is in six months. They offer access. Trusted partners meet the patients halfway or even further, bringing care to them in their communities or at their home or in their workplace. Let's get to the tech stack. So that's vision of what we're trying to create, this ongoing, persistent, relevant dialogue between the health system and the patient. Think of it as anytime they want, they have access to the health system. Knowledgeable health data flowing Uh, health information and knowledge flowing back and forth between the two. So if I am thinking, hey, I'm I'm thinking about Ozempic to lose weight. I don't go to the internet and whatever. I, I am interacting with my health system, potentially with my doctor, but potentially with technology. And I'm getting feedback. I'm getting information. If I'm interacting with technology, that's getting logged into whatever the system of record happens to be so that the, when they meet with the doctor later, the doctor can say, hey, I've, I've seen you had a lot of questions about losing weight. Da, da, da. How are you thinking about this? Have you thought about intermittent fasting? Have you thought about other healthier alternatives to what you're thinking? Da, da, whatever it happens to be, but you're creating that ongoing persistent dialogue. What does the tech stack look like? It's flexible for sure. It's got to be flexible. Uh, obviously, it's got to be secure. And, and I believe it has to have usability at its core, both on the clinician side and definitely on the patient side. And more and more, when we say usability at its core, it's natural language front ends. For, for the clinician, obviously, you just saw in, uh, I think yesterday I saw DAX is 100% integrated into Epic now. So we're seeing this advent of the the natural language front end to the EHR. And so for the clinician, it's gotta be natural language. I think the same thing's true for the patient as well. We've got to figure out the natural language front end for the patient. So usability at its core. The the data has to be secure. It is secure, but it's also accessible to various systems and workflow. Not through a proprietary stack, but an open stack that allows for agility and flexibility in its design and implementation. It starts with the data. We can be more granular if we want, but for this 10 minute discussion, let's just start with the data. All systems are designed and selected from the lens of security, interoperability, and usability. Let's talk about the data first though. Free the data. The data is locked. In our modern health systems today, it is locked. Now, people are gonna argue with me, but I believe it's locked contractually. I believe it's locked in technology silos, and I believe it's locked within the business model. Let me unlock, let me unpack that just a little bit. in this context, it's locked contractually. So if you read your EHR terms and conditions or any of the other systems, a lot of times you'll see that you have ceded a lot of control of that data to that third party, or you can't get the data out or you can't interact with it in certain ways. You are limited in what you can do. So the data is locked contractually. It is locked within technology. We still have way too many silos of information. And the the mistake we make is, oh, the EHR is open now. It's connected to Tefka and we can do all these things. But the reality is the EHR is still a subset of the information. Yes, it is a system of record, but there are other systems of record and there are other systems that are holding patient data. It's locked within our technology stack primarily because of the complexity, but there could also be other reasons, the age of the technology that we're using to try to free that that data and how it, and the forms that it, it presents that data out. And finally, it's locked within the business model. I can't, the, 
<laughs> the number of times I thought, hey, we've, we've got this breakthrough. We can do this with the data and whatnot. And then you sit across the table with somebody else and they go, I don't want that data shared. No, no, we can't share that data. So the business model does not incent people to share data in the best interest of the patient. Now, with that being said, we have a lot of people who act in the best interest of the patients. We have a lot of health systems that act in the best interest. But the business model itself, if you just looked at the capitalist business model around healthcare, it does not uh, lend itself well to a business model that shares the data. So it's locked contractually, it's locked technology-wise, it's locked in the business model. Now, we have to move beyond the EHR where health actually happens. We're gonna come back and talk about the EHR, but that is one of the distinctions of transformation. It is not built around the system, but the system is built around the right workflows and processes. We have to engage in an ongoing dialogue that only technology can facilitate at scale. All right, so the key word there is at scale. Clearly, individuals can interact and have these ongoing dialogues, but you can't hire enough people. You can't have a call center big enough. You can't hire enough PAs and, and nurse practitioners and, and doctors to have all these conversations. So only technology is going to be able to do this at scale. So we have to figure that out. We have to be able to reach people at their home, in their car, at work, in the line, at McDonald's, as they're about to make a bad decision. We have to impact care in the community. Scale dictates a bunch of things, but scale definitely dictates the use of technology. Another thing, scale dictates automation. You, you have to be able to automate things. If these conversations are happening, it has to take the next step and potentially the next two or three steps. So therefore, you have to have a workflow engine, a solid communications platform. If you're going to be interacting with people, they don't all have the same habits around communication. Some people will receive texts. Some people will receive phone calls. Some people will receive emails and amongst other various things. You need a solid communication platform. Again, that's open, that allows the data to come in and out, that allows for automation. You have to be able to handle hundreds of thousands, even millions of healthcare discussions at once. If you're thinking beyond the HATCO SUMA thing, if you're thinking at scale, it has to be able to handle millions of healthcare discussions at once. Human interaction is reserved for only those places where either only a human can do something or it is better for a human interaction to occur. Okay, let me say that again real quick. Human interaction is reserved for those places where either only a human can do something or it is better for human interaction to occur. We have to leverage that, that finite resource, that incredibly valuable resource. All right, let's go through some of the other points on the tech stack. I, I think we need to leverage LLMs significantly, right? We need that natural language front end. We need something that can have a dialogue. We need to train these models, whether they are external models that we're bringing in or we're training our own models. We need an ongoing relationship and healthcare conversation with people in the community. LLMs are uniquely designed to do that if trained adequately and, and correctly. I think the other thing is we need a better picture of our patients. We've always needed a better picture of our patients, but if this model is going to go from fee-for-service to more value-based care and caring for them, we need to be able to impact care where the decisions are being made around care. And we think it's about care, but it's not. It's, it's those decisions we make every day. Do we go for a walk? Do we, do we get that cheeseburger? Do we or do we interact with people? We, we talk about mental health and wellness and those kind of things. And I think in order to do that, we need a whole patient profile. I've talked about this on the show 
over the years, this whole patient profile, understanding how people make decisions. We talked about psychographic profiles and psychographic data. It, it, it identifies our motives, how we make decisions, what our intentions are. These drive our health decisions and they're different for everybody. And if we treat everybody as a single population and say, hey, here's how we're gonna impact their healthcare, we're not seeing uh, the whole picture of who that person is. There's a whole bunch of research and studies that have been done around this that needs to be integrated into our systems, into our interactions with our patients on a daily basis. Wow, running out of time, I need to move here. Again, we just need to engage where health happens during the daily decisions in our day. We need to provide nudges to help people make the right decisions and lead people to healthier decisions, healthier lives, right? And above all, we need to be a trusted source for information, trusted source for that dialogue. Trust and influence are inextricably linked and, and, and uh, required to change outcomes. I said yesterday I'd give you the answer to the million dollar question, which is the EHR. Uh, what about the EHR? The EHR is a system of record. This is the million dollar question. The health systems will require a system of record, period. Without any changes to the business model, the EHR will likely be the best way to handle charges, generate a bill, and handle revenue cycle. This is where more information is required to make this decision. Will there be changes to the business model? Is the intention of General Catalyst and HACO to transform healthcare without swapping out the EHR? Do they want to provide an epic user base, a way to transform without changing the system in, in any way, right? So you can transform. You don't have to swap out epic. All these bolt-ons come in and... And, and make this happen? Is there a bolt-on way, a way to use interoperability to build out a flexible and agile system? I, I think that answer can only be found at the negotiating table. Let's start with the question, who owns the data? How can that data be used? Can that data be accessed by external systems? Can data be brought back into the system of record? Is Epic or others, are they willing to change their terms and conditions based on the future that HACO envisions, or do they envision a different future? The EHR providers, amongst many others, do benefit from the status quo. I would imagine this is a difficult path to gain the agility that is likely going to be required to make HACO's vision a reality. I had a conversation recently with John Halapka, president of Mayo Clinic Platform, and one of the only CIOs one of, I, the only one I know of who has written a working EHR. So Beth Israel Deaconess for years ran on the EHR that John Halapka wrote. We talked about the amazing flexibility that is enabled for their system. Physicians had an amazing amount of say in what was rolled out. There were hundreds of releases a week to that system, right? So you had these point releases making the system more usable, more friendly, more interactive with the patient. I'll give you one other story, but this time I'm going to align it more with healthcare since uh, I, I actually have told this story before on the show. The CEO with Ford was describing their control systems in their Ford car, and he was asked, how does Tesla have such an advantage over Ford? And he said, we have 120 control systems in a Ford F-150. I'm making this up. I, I forget the exact numbers in the car he used, but it was roughly that. It was a little over 100 control systems in a car. And he said, if we wanted to do a change on one of those control systems, they are written by 60 different companies. And so we would have to go to that company. And that company would have to approve that change that we were going to do because sometimes I use that same control system in another car, right? And now they're creating complexity in their development environment. 
And so you get that approval, but then you have to think about how it's going to interact with the other control systems in the car, the other 60 some odd companies. And hey, we're going to make this change. You have to go to those 60 companies. And suffice it to say, you go to Tesla and all 120 of those control systems are written by one company, Tesla. And when they want to do a release, they have to talk to themselves and then they release it. That's why you see so many releases in the Tesla. And they ask them, what does that mean for you? He goes, we are right now hiring massive amounts of internal developers to write those control systems ourselves. They're actually going to change the way that they build cars to be more agile and nimble in order to be competitive in this new world. I've heard CEOs of health systems and other leaders describing their EHR and the ability to make changes in the same way. During the pandemic, a system wanted to make a simple change to their portal and were unable to because their EHR provider wouldn't allow it. The other things to consider is that the greater the market share of any one player in the EHR space, the, the, the longer the cycles are for change. And the stronger the pool to a core set of code and minimal customization is. The EHRs as, as they exist today will likely hinder the objective of HATCO and General Catalyst long-term. So am I recommending ripping out the EHR and coding their own? No at least not on day one or potentially day three, 365. But I will say that I'm not sure they will find a partner in the EHR space that will take them where their vision is going. I hope to be proven wrong on that, but if this truly represents a new business model, then it will likely require different foundational systems and some development capabilities within the partner ecosystem and likely within the health system itself. Let me close with this. I'm way over. What does day one of this deal look like? I think it's aggressively moving on items which add cost and adversely impact agility and flexibility. Simplify the environment. Consolidate. Eliminate systems. Free the data for partners to interact with it. Enhance security and privacy measures to go well beyond traditional healthcare. Shore up communication systems, workflows, processes. Establish automation as the default. Begin the work of aligning the architecture to the vision of the organization. I want to say that again. That's really key. Begin the work of aligning the architecture to the vision of the organization. Technology is a wonderful servant and a horrible master. Get them in line. All right. So those are some of my initial thoughts. I'd love to get your feedback. Please shoot me a note if you agree, disagree. If there's something I missed, something else you'd like me to talk about, bill at thisweekhealth.com. All right, that's all for today. Don't forget, share this podcast with a friend or colleague. We want to thank our channel sponsors who are investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. SureTest, Artisite, Parlance, Certify Health, Notable, and ServiceNow. Check them out at thisweekhealth.com slash today. Thanks for listening. That's all for now.